Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with Lance Luxury Division Cycle. The reason I bring that up again is I feel like you wear that every Friday just to, just to make me jealous. I sleep in this thing. All right, that's fair then. Then it's not every Friday. He sleeps with it. Yep. Uh, one, we just got a new addition in Boulder. And house? House and then maybe a duplex in back. Oh, okay. Yep. Wow. A duplex in the back of this lot? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They have an alley back there, but it's like a defunct alley. So it's like, can you do it? Haven't looked into it. Wow. Very interesting. Anyways, I they, they asked about this architect builder. And I always say we are your architect first. Then if things work out and if you're in the area, we can bid on it, see if it goes. They like that so much that like that's one of the main reasons why we got it. Amazing. So if you are interested in that because it it literally doubles, quadruples your your, your fee and, and extends your life and, and, and all that, especially in like some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. about oh, yeah. Recession. Oh, yeah. It's coming. And if you want... A framework, right? You went to school to become an architect. You can go back to school to become a builder, but I don't think it's necessary to go back to university. I think it's overpriced. I think, I think they teach you a, uh, a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter, and it's not tied to reality. Um, the <laughs> best way to tie it to reality is what you want to do. So, if you ever want to take your architecture projects, small additions small tenant finishes or residential houses that is the specific knowledge you want architect to builder is the way to go and it's at architectsguide2.com check out architectsguide2.com where we show you what we went through so you don't have to go through all those headaches architectsguide2.com as design and architecture demand increases towards pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your firm keeping up? ArcCat is here to help. ArcCat.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours, Al Gore, to get work done faster. Use ArcCat's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. Arcat.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification, information, outline, and short-form specification generation, and more. Arcat is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Check those guys out. They are a huge uh, supporter of our podcast. So supporting them helps support us and ultimately helps us support you. Uh, this episode was also brought to you by Pella Luxury. That's right. Pella, Pella, Pella. Lance, Pella Luxury, Psycho. Experience a collection of brands that brings your creative vision to life. The luxury division of Pella is a world-class collection of brands, including Duratherm, Riley, and Bonelli, all pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. During this holiday season, 
We know how it is important to step back and spend time in gratitude. We appreciate all your clients trusting us with your projects in a record-breaking year. We are excited and ready to take on the new year. The luxury division of Pella doesn't push beyond the limits. We set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's right. PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Check those guys out. Again, another big supporter of the podcast. Your support uh, of of Pella Luxury. Heading over to that website, PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Helps support Pella, which helps support us, which helps support you. So let's all support each other. Al Gore, what do we got? Uh, some listener feedback just wanted to share it. I thought it was cool. Keep uh, keep, keep, keep going. I'm just going to turn the light back here. Oh, okay. Uh, it was dude, which I love being addressed as that. I'm on episode number seven of pod podcast. It's freaking awesome. Very interesting insight. Thank you for that. He's leaving a review. Uh, great, great shout out. Uh, shout out. Um, okay. I want to go over, uh, what do you call it? Not a revelation. Epiphany. Thank you. Epiphany. There you go. I had, and this is the simplest marketing advice I think you will ever hear. It is extremely simple. It's just you have to find a way to execute it. Mm-hmm. And the proof is in the pudding, right? So the proof, our firm is over 10 years old, right? The easiest projects we have gotten are projects that people have saw and they want something similar on their site. Um, the first one, for example, are these Atlas tiny houses. We've done uh, at one, two, three, four of them, because if you count the Titans, and then uh, we've done one or two just like not Atlas Tiny Houses. One but that is not an Atlas Tiny House. It was a uh, mobile dog grooming uh, and, and uh, therapy uh, yeah. house. Yep. Um, East Watch is another one that people love. It's on the cover of Builder Magazine, January of earlier this year, 2021. Um, it has at least three babies, possibly a fourth baby coming. Amazing. Which is, amer- which is amazing. Um, and so there's the proof in like it's literally the easiest sell to get done. The second thing is that it's worked in reverse. Had this client wanted a passive house, been following us since the Atlas houses and is like, now I'm going to build. I wanted to reach out to you guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. Since Had, the first one? Since the first one. Been following so us. to put that in perspective, we built that in 2014. Pretty sure it was 2014. So about six or seven years ago, I've emphasized this before, but like you're playing a long game as an architect, <clears throat> as somebody in the real estate in- industry, even realtors fall into this category. Developers certainly fall into this category. Like you're playing a long game with closing, uh, getting attention and then closing out the deal. Yep. Yep. Just like the book. <laughs> what a long game for that too. Um, anyways, loved us. They didn't want a tiny house. They wanted something different. We ended up not getting the job. <laughs> she called back and told me why they went with someone that does basically strictly or a lot of passive houses Mm. so now that we got the uh the data on both like not getting something and getting something here is the advice you need to the best marketing advice produce what you want others to pay you to do produce what you want others to pay you to do do you want to design skyscrapers? You need to produce a, uh, a skyscraper. And we'll talk about how to do that. You want to do custom houses? You need to produce a custom house. You want to do a tiny house? You need to produce a tiny house. Um, what's a, You want to do museums? Somehow you have to be on the production of design or building of a museum. And I have three kind of ways to do it. Interesting. The third one, I don't think... 
I wonder, I wonder what you think about the third one, right? So the first, the first one is get a job at a firm that is doing what you want to do. It makes sense. That's the easiest, yep. right? But sometimes you can't. Sometimes they're not hiring. Sometimes a recession hits. Sometimes a recession hits. Sometimes you're just not the right candidate and yeah. they might have a, a bunch of other candidates. Mm-hmm. But that's number one, okay? The second is if you can't do that, then you got to do it in your free time. And this is the simplest marketing advice you'll ever have. What do you want people to pay you to do? Okay, do that. Do that in your free time. Here's an example. Uh, Fielding, I think his name is Jeremy Fielding. He's a YouTube guy. He's an engineering guy. He actually wasn't even an engineer. Did I tell you about this guy? I I can't remember, Al. Wasn't an engineer, but wanted to be one. Loves like robotics and that stuff. His YouTube things are awesome, right? And he just said, hey, can I come work at your engineering firm? And they're like, no, but like, if you want to come sit there, uh, you know, you can. And he's like, what do I need to do to become an engineer? He's like, well, you need to go to school. But actually, the most thing you need to know is no SolidWorks. So here's a book on SolidWorks. Mm-hmm. Teach yourself SolidWorks. Mm-hmm. Taught himself SolidWorks. Then then the guy after that is like, okay, here's some work. Try this workout. Did it. Oh, okay. Now you're hired. And the, the company he's working with builds industrial robots. So he took it to the next level. He's is building an, an, an industrial robot. Like all of it Amazing. from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> He wanted to, you know, he's like, he has to learn how to code. So he, because the machines, you know, move and stuff, but he's like, well, you know, you can program it digitally, but then it comes out with all this code and I don't know what that code means. So like, I don't know how to fix errors. And there's all these like letters, like that means something like TM means something, whatever means something. So he just went and he wrote those all on flashcards and at work, he would just test himself. Right. So he wanted to build industrial robots and be an engineer. So Literally, that's what he does in his free time. And that's what he gets paid to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's the second way. Now, let's say let's say the, the problem with both of those two, with your free time and, and a, a job if you can't get one, is like you might not know that you're not that good. Yeah, what's your sounding board, right? What's your feedback loop? Yeah. So that that was, in my thought process, another problem that... I have some advice, but maybe you have some insight on it. Okay. Okay. You don't have a good, great feedback loop. So you're just producing stuff and maybe it's like no one's interested. No one's engaged. Right. And I'm against you just going and saying, Hey, I'm going to be a a free intern at your office because I think on a macro level, then the firms that have the power can take advantage of that. And they do. Yep. Yep. So here's something. And I thought, huh, would I fall for this? you know, like as a business owner and it, it might be if someone comes up to you, Lance, I'm, I'm, I, I want to do stuff that F9 does. And I'm not saying people do this at all. This is literally just like th- talking out loud. Say, Hey, um, all I want to do is design houses and, and, and cool houses. And that's it. Tiny and, houses. Yep. And that's not all our firm. tiny houses. And our firm that's isn't I'm trying to get you to be specific. Cause it's a real, yeah. Tiny cool. houses. Yeah. I want to design them myself, but I know that I don't know a lot. So can I sit in your office? And do that like in my free time for, for the next couple months. And I'll ask people questions where I don't know it. Ask for feedback. Ask people for a review. But I realize that I'm taking up some of their time. So in a 40-hour week, I'll give you 10 hours of my time if I can sit there for the rest of the 30, do my own work, and ask people questions. That sounds terrible. Okay. There you go. Uh, so time is very valuable. That sounds awful. 
uh, first of all, there's the there's the whole ethics of the whole thing, right? Is um, I am the type of a person that does not like to owe people money, so it, it 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 really stresses me out if I if I owe people money and then I'm let's say waiting on like a bank for a construction draw or something like that. Like that is easily one of the most stressful things yep. in my life is owing people money. I just can't stand it. Uh, <clears throat> so then the same thought process applies to owing people. They're doing work for free, so it's the same, same sort of thing. Does that make sense? That's why. Sense? That's why I didn't think you'd like it. So I hate that. So I hate that. And then um, I also, and this is like a trait that Alex and I share. There's some that we share, obviously, and then some that are opposite. But like one that I guarantee we share is that um, we like to do what we want to do. And so all of a sudden, if, some, if somebody else has another idea, just out of the blue, of how they want to operate or do things. We have just this innate thing inside of us that pushes back. And then all of a sudden, our heart and soul and mind and everything isn't going to be into it. And then that's a different kind of level of stress. Right? Oh, 100%. So before you go any farther, two thought processes on, on that. One is, <clears throat> because this doesn't just have to be architecture. They could be like, I want to code the next Facebook. Right? Um, I want to work in aerospace. Right? Okay. And if they, if someone came in those and be like, I'm going to code the next Facebook and I'm going to sit here and like get people to jump on board. You'd be like, no, no, you're not. No, everyone's <laughs> doing their own shit. No, no, you're not. Yeah. And then, and then, but before that you tried to maybe get a job at there and be like, sorry, you didn't make the cut, blah, blah, blah. So you're like, holy cow. Like I can't make the next Facebook. Like I can try, but like I have no feedback loop. I have no one hardy. You can try to get a mentor, but like I've been a mentor, like there's only so much time. We can't, ha you know, have that, that constant thing. And yeah, so, so then it's like, okay, I want to do this, but I'm not getting the, the job at that specific place that I want. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is something I want to do for the 10, 15, 30 years of my life. So it, that's fine I, because I agree with you. It's not like the perfect solution. Like how do you get into the, with that feedback loop, you know, with people that actually know what they're doing because people that actually know what they're doing <coughs> in this economy are extremely busy. Like it doesn't that, matter what industry. I, well, I like that we have a, we have a, a tangible example that we are, we are using as the basis for this exploration. And that is the tiny houses, right? Yep. They want to make a tiny house okay. company. <clears throat> so let's continue with that thought process. My recommendation to those people would be on the lines of this uh, fielding fella, wh whoever yeah. this engineer was, where he took it upon himself to learn the software, right? And then, um, let's say, then in, in just in pretend land, he picked up Alex's book through Creativity Code and learned how to basically design. Uh, sure. You know, as, as a very like very cursory level primer. Of course, we all know one book isn't going to teach you how to design. It takes a lot more practice, right? But it, it will give you enough primer. How do you get to a feedback loop? If it was me. I would go look for community forums online. It could be Reddit. It could be Facebook. It could be um, any multitude. I don't, I don't even know if I need to name any other ones, but you get my point here. And that is, could you put your designs up for that community and get feedback from them? Right? Uh, I think so. I, I think that's that's where I would that where I would go with that. Uh, there, the analogy is also akin to this podcast. Going all the way back to the number ep number episode number seven that uh, Stefan uh, wrote to us about is uh, uh, within the first twenty five episodes, one thing we weren't doing was screening our audio. So I wasn't like uh, it's uh, now I use this program. It's called just it's really awesome. If, by the way, if you're a podcaster, fixmylevels.com. 
I use it all the time because uh, it, it, it automatically, there's an algorithm written where you just process your audio through once you're done, like doing the intro, the outro, Nick reads, Elon reads, all of that. And then it evens everything out so there's no big high or low points in your audio and it's nice and even listening. We got some feedback right away uh, within the first 20 episodes of somebody. I will never forget this. Mm-hmm. And they said, I love your I love your podcast, but for the love of God, something <laughs> like this, can That's you funny. fix the audio levels in your in your show? Because like it'll go from low to high, you know, crazy high, and then blow out your eardrums, right? Especially if you're listening with you know, earphones. So <clears throat> even just putting yourself so what I'm getting at is like somehow putting yourself in front of an audience is the critical part here. So like that's another example of it. Um and I don't know, beyond that, just, just take it, take that and run with it. Yep. Yep. I think also if you were doing something like physical, mechanical, we, we have a tinker mill in, in Longmont. I'm sure there's other things. Yeah. Um, uh, there's probably all, uh, all over those examples all over. Yep. Uh, another thing too, is you could get a desk at a WeWork station or, mm-hmm. um, uh, Thrive is one that's in Denver. Um, there, there's a bunch of like there's at least one architecture firm. There's now two since we're down there. So like, let's say you're just sitting there and you can walk around and see people label what they do. And before you even commit to like a $50 desk per month and then be like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to be uh, a, a tiny house builder. I see that you're an architect. Uh, could I run this concept by you? You know, and just do it that way. Yeah. I think the key is besides get a job there or do it in your off time. And even if you're doing it in your off time, somehow get that feedback loop there you go yeah but man i hope what that to kind of wrap the whole thing up i hope it proved to you that especially in this day and age with the access to information uh and and the cheap software and just cheap knowledge meaning like literally monetarily wise i don't mean that you know it's not valuable obviously once you digest it and learn the skill but their barriers to entry are the lowest they probably have ever been in in the history of the world. Because, so, yeah. Get it on. Going back to the other examples of, of, of coding or, or doing anything, the university is four years, $30,000 a year. A, a course, the amount of courses, because I'm looking at even stuff for like kids, but like getting up, they're like $300. I, I have, like they're I, worth their weight. My wife gold. hates this. Uh, we are blended, blended family. So two, two biological children each. My wife hates that I do this. But to our oldest, who's going to go to college next year, I I just flat out tell him, Brett, if you don't think a four-year university is for you, consider a trade school. Like, what could it hurt? And then and then she gets all mad at me, and I'm like, honey, welders, come on, <laughs> look at your look at your husband. That's what like, it, just because you get the trade degree doesn't mean you can't go to a four-year and then go get a master's and then literally end up teaching at a university. Like, why not? If you are doing the right things, right? Um, not having children out of wedlock, like not putting yourself in, uh, going in crazy amounts of debt, like like living a just a just a that kind of a, a a life where you're you're taking care of your responsibilities and not overextending yourself and putting yourself in a hole. What is what is stopping you from just continuing and continuing and continuing? I remember my grandpa at one point when I was being recruited to MIT. He was like, "Were well, you ever going to stop going to school?" And I said, "I don't know, maybe not." I mean, they keep paying me to go. I'm glad I didn't, right? Uh, because then I had my sounding board was Mark, uh, one of our professors, and he said, "No, you need to go practice." And I'm glad I did. But yeah. you know what? What good advice? Like you, you will learn. Basically. And and Mark actually has he doesn't have a PhD, but 
close to it with his degree from Pratt. Like, sure, he has some kind of yeah, it's like a three year thing. So, yep, cool, good okay. stuff, Al. Uh, I want to touch back last last week. We talk we talked about the idea of of government thrashing, and again, is thrashing is a computer term where the computer uh, system or processor gets too many tasks, so it just it just checks in on each task and does absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. We talked about it in the context of man for every project they the city will have every department including the police department look at it and all of a sudden you just get thrashed because all these people are looking at every project and just doing minor to no comments to nothing and the project takes years right i also want to talk about it it just hit me and i just wanted to bring it up briefly it's not a big segment i think that this is the problem of government on the larger level Right. Mm-hmm. If you want to be <clears throat> like, not that, not libertarian to the sense, but if you wanted to be like, what are the fundamental things that the government should, should do? do? Yeah. Right. And let's just say it is police, fire response, build the roads and utilities. And like, you know, you could add on a, a couple other things, but like they should do these fundamental things extremely well. Once you add on to their tasks, tackle this, 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 and all the special interests do this, do this, do this. I think the leaders of the government get thrashed, meaning like literally all all they do is like, oh, we're just going to sign all these tasks and there's no progress on maybe the fundamental things. And what I'm getting at is like you will overlook the base that makes you stable if you have too many things on your plate and then that base is now buried in a bunch of sand and the base could grow it away because you're just thrashing yourself on everything else yeah does that make sense it does make sense yeah it'll be interesting to see how a reset happens at some point because uh the you know number one the spending's not sustainable number two like it is it is it is objectively true it's the biggest government the world has ever seen it's just not sustainable especially with uh, 350 million people living in the United States and obviously how polarized we are and how it, no matter who gets in control they always want to control the other person their body all that stuff like it is not sustainable so I'm just curious to see how it's gonna hopefully it's a decentralization somehow peacefully that'd be great I don't know sounds good. Um. All right, on to some doom and gloom. Uh, but it's very important. I think uh, I've got an article that I'm pulling up here. It is called Yahoo Finance. And by the way, I I so Alex sent this to me. I could not believe they published it, and you will find out why. So it's titled "The Next Recession." This is uh. It was published on December 9th, so one day ago from this recording. Here's here's when everything. Here's when the everything bubble. Will burst. I like that they included the everything bubble too, and they're not yeah. just concentrating on like uh, housing or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So in October 20XX, that's not a typo, to reach the best guesstimate of when the next recession will begin, we need to understand how the Federal Reserve creates unsustainable booms and why the next bus may be just around the corner. That sentence right there was exactly why I, I thought right away, and Al even heard me like, like exclaiming next to him as I was reading this yesterday, yesterday afternoon, like, how did they publish this? Because the media is so bad <laughs> at telling the truth 
that I could not believe they're starting to actually talk about you know, the real culprit behind the bubbles, which is the Fed. So uh, back to the article. A caveat is in order. As physicist Niels Bohr exclaimed, prediction is very difficult, especially if it is about the future. End quote. Nevertheless, I will weigh in fearlessly with my 10 cents. The Fed's inflationary policies have increased my two cents fivefold. That was a joke. Maybe the next cryptocurrency is on the horizon. My 10 cents. If a dog can have crypto, Dogecoin, <laughs> why can't a retired finance professor? Do you know what Doge means? Go for it. Do only good every day. That's hilarious. Yeah. And then the dog is their mascot. Nice. Uh, why can't a finance professor who warned the public that prices were about to accelerate due to the Fed's inflationary policies in the spring of 1976 have one? Consumer prices rose 5.7% in 1976, 6.5% in 1977, Alex. This month just came out in November. U.S. inflation jumped 6.8%, the fastest rate in 39 years. Yeah. Weren't you mentioning the 70s? Yes. Yep. <laughs> so it just 7.8. 7.6% in 1978, 11.3% in 1980. spiral. Volker succeeded spectacularly. Consumer prices rose 10.3% in 1981, revealing how inflation momentum can continue for a while before the Fed's tight money policies slay the inflation dragon. In 1982, prices rose 6.1%. So that's where this whole, now our inflation is at 6.8%. There you go. 3.2% in 1983, a miracle of miracles, and only 1.9% in 1986, a year before Volcker stepped down as Fed chairman and was replaced by Alan Greenspan. Al's old enough to remember Alan Greenspan. Oh, yeah. To accomplish what was considered at the time improbable due to high inflation expect expectations, the Volcker-led Fed raised the Fed funds rate. The bank borrows from each other for overnight loans to 22%. By December 1980. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, pretty hefty. That's like a credit card. Yeah. The cost of Volcker's tight monetary policies necessary to halt the dollar slide was back-to-back -back recessions. Let me repeat that. The cost of Volcker's tight monetary policies necessary to halt the dollar slide was back-to-back -back recessions. A short downturn 1980 and then another one, 1981, 1982. A case can be made that one long recession occurred uh, that effect lasted three years from 1980 to 1982. You were born in 84? 85. 85. I was born in 83. Pinpointing the moment. One of the biggest leading indicators of a cyclical downturn is the unemployment rate. So this is critical because you're going to hear about, uh, actually, I believe two days ago, uh, President Biden and his, um, his cabinet were proclaiming, and then all the corporate press were too, about all this, this wonderful, the lowest unemployment rate we've seen um, in the past, I don't know, 30 years or something like that, like a, like a very long time, right? So all of these numbers are aligning, and that's the point of this article and the, the discussion is to, like, everything's lining up again. What does it mean? Uh, so one of the best leading indicators of a cyclical downturn is unemployment rate, which reached a cyclical boom in May 1979, 5.6% several months before the 1980 recession, 
and didn't peak until November 1982, 10.8%. That is a lot. The unemployment rate declined until the next upturn in layoffs began to accelerate in 1990. Al Gore. The, the, one of the reasons why I think it is necessary for them to increase the rate and maybe stop just peddling money into the system is because inflation does hurt the poor and the middle class. And I've literally seen articles before. One, remember, they said it was transitory. Then they said, okay, remove that. Then they said, hey, it actually only, this is a rich person problem. And it only hurts the rich. The, the, the people who have assets that are already paid for or in locked mortgages, which are rich people have those, are the ones who are benefiting from this. So if I have a $100,000 house, inflation goes up. Now every house is $150,000. Like I, I benefit from that. Mm -hmm. The people that are literally spending the majority of their money on food, all that other stuff that just went up gas. 6%, gas. And, and then trying to save and then even trying to save some and trying to do the baby steps and get some cash in there, that cash is being de devalued and one, they can't even put it in there. So it's like, holy cow. I mean, it, it's just a utter lie that inflation helps exactly. the poor middle class. It, it, exactly. It's a total lie because even if your wage goes up to $15 an hour, but everything costs more like it, you're, you're evening out at best. Google just announced that they won't raise employees pay based off of uh, this inflation too. Google people make a, a bunch more than everyone else, but, uh, and I don't know how, if that's per how capita, they, they justify. Do. Oh, it, it, it's insane. How much, yeah. Um, but that's why, like, I mean, unless you want to split the country even more and, and, and have an even poorer class and an even richer class. Seems like that's kind of what they want to do. Not fundamentally sound. Not Nobody wants a strong middle class for some reason. Currently, the uh, back to the article. Currently, the unemployment rate has been declining from the lockdown peak of 2020 and has reached levels that historically have signaled the beginning of the end of a cyclical boom. Lockdowns have um, undoubtedly distorted the employment rate, but the historical pattern reveals that when unemployment rate nears 3% and then turns up, a recession will soon begin. So we're there, right? The other, the other metric here that we're going to go into next is called the yield curve. So the yield curve is one of the most widely followed in, uh, financial indicators that pro portend a recession. I love that word. Portend a recession, usually within a year. The yield curve reveals the relationship between short-term and long-term interest rates. Typically, the yield curve is upward sloping, like today when short-term rates are below long-term rates, reflecting a substantial amount of liquidity in the financial markets. When the Fed becomes concerned that the economy is, quote, overheating, it tends to raise the Fed funds rate to cool down the price inflation. So when they're raising these rates, they're trying to cool inflation before it runs into hyperinflation, which occurred prior to the bursting of both the 2000.com bubble and the 2007.com bubble, or sorry, housing bubble. The yield curve was virtually inverted at the end of 2019, suggesting that a recession would begin sometime in 2020. However, the lockdowns in response to COVID caused an economic downturn in early 2020, not a typical cyclical recession. Now the economy is in another cyclical upswing because the Federal Reserve injected $4 trillion of liquidity to stimulate the economy at the most recent meeting of the Federal Open Market Commission it was decided to reduce monthly purchases from 120 billion to 115, so they're tapering. In other words, the Fed will continue to have its foot on the monetary pedal even as the inflation rate 
recently topped 6% year over year. We just heard from Al, 6.8%. In the past, accelerating inflation would set off alarm bells uh, at the Fed to raise interest rates to dampen inflationary pressure and expectations. Currently, the thinking at the Fed is that price inflation is transitory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they just took that off. They did take it off. And therefore, monetary policy does not need to be tightened. Um, So... uh, this guy's fear uh, forecast basically, therefore, is inflation accelerates in 2022. Then the public outcry over skyrocketing prices because there's only so much we can take. Let's be honest with you. It well, is now it- almost a hundred bucks to fill up my suburban, and I'm I, like, can I afford that kind of stuff with all the all of the, the leisurely fishing I do on the weekend? And literally, I'm I'm a half a tank to three quarters of a tank on the weekend because I drive. Yeah. If it goes over a hundred, I'm gonna start questioning. Just fishing trips. It, yeah. it even hits me. You know what I mean? Not only that, which I've seen a huge increase too. Um, there's only so much you can pay for food and food is a necessity. So like once you start messing with that too, which is happening and people, there, there's a reason why to then raise the interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, then the public outcry over skyrocketing prices and the media reports highlighting how prices are decimating the average family's purchasing power may cause the Biden administration to import, impose wage price controls, as President Nixon did in 1971, to take the sting out of inflation before his 1972 re-election campaign. Biden could use an executive order if Congress doesn't give him statutory authority to impose price controls. Without price controls, I expect the Fed to raise the Fed funds rate sometime in 2022 and continuing tightening in 2023. Thus, the next recession could begin in the fall of 2023, but no later than a year later. If the recession does not begin on schedule, it only means it is postponed and not eliminated. Not, yep. Um, I don't think in today's climate is even an option to for raise. them to do wage Price controls? Price controls? No, no. And here's... Why do you think? Be, it, you hear that word and you go, wait, wait, all my prices are going up and you're going to start deciding how much I can make? You can go shove it. And here's here's why. So here, so that's your take. I, I, think, yeah. I think yours is sort of this uh, just cultural thought process and yeah. how it would work out. The Senate just voted 52 to 48 to strike down uh, the, vi- the vaccine mandates from biden's executive orders okay yeah right before that all of the supreme court circuits that it was taken into to fight it to to strike down these vaccine mandates they all said yeah we're not that you can't you constitutionally can't do this president biden yeah so you have the court system saying no you have uh one third of our government saying no the senate right yep and now it's going back to the house so it'll be interested to see what the the House of Representatives says if they get real close to, even if they don't pass it, you know, if they agree with the Senate or they get really close to and we're heading into 2022 midterms, yeah, I don't think the support, the public support, even right. with our even with our elected people, are, are, it's not going to go forward. Right. And then also just for timing too, I don't think they're going to do anything drastic besides give more money out and give more free money before the midterms, I think they'll tighten it right after the midterms. And actually, <clears throat> honestly, uh, I don't know if Biden can handle a second term physically. 
That's just my personal opinion. Fair enough. So if you're going to have someone be the fall guy for something that needs to be done, maybe it is him. And then he doesn't run again. Yeah. And you, you substitute it with someone else. Honestly, that is almost a best case scenario. They can still run a different Democrat. They can still blame Joe for ruining the economy, quote unquote, because you know that's how everyone will spin it. But you're not going to do it right before, but right after the elections. Yeah. I think they should do it. Yeah. So well, we'll see. Yeah, well, I think the Fed, Alex means- the Fed oh. should raise interest rates. Oh, God, they have to. I mean, honestly. Yep. And, and they really, like, well, here's why I think they have to. You, you, can, you can tell me if your thought process is wrong. Is <clears throat> they, have, they have put themselves in a corner of a corner. And the, they're on the verge of losing their credibility entirely. And what will happen is if they lose their, credibility, credibility, their credibility entirely, the credibility of our dollar as the world's mm. reserve currency will get lost. And then you know what's going to happen? Weimar, how do you say it? Weimar Germany will happen again. Or Zimbabwe. Weimar. Weimar Germany will happen again. Or uh, the Zimbabwe will happen again where, oh, you're, 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 your dollar's worthless? Oh, oh, now we're partaking uh, wheelbarrow loads of dollars to the supermarket to buy a loaf of bread. Yep, which, which actually happened. Um, I, I didn't think that far. I honestly hope that that happens but just know then now now brace yourself now brace yourself if after the midterms this happens right and they're not going to tell you that this is going to happen they're going to tell you everything's fine they're going to tell you like we've seen this is they're going to gaslight you they're going to continue <laughs> to freaking gaslight you yep exactly so how do you make sure that your firm if you're listening is prepared for that number one obviously be fiscally conservative as to, to the best of your ability Number two, try to maintain your, your staff. So you, so unlike Google, on the, one of these last episodes we, we talked about it is you're gonna have to bite the bullet and actually give people real, real raises that match the actual rate of inflation, because maintaining your staff is is very very important um, for for long term success. Right. Third, maybe you need to consider expanding in the sense of offering additional services. Architect to builder. Yeah. Shovel ready projects. Yep. Our, our finances, architecture are just fine. But even when it was semi-questionable, when we saw what the builder side was bringing, we were like, oh, okay, that's, that's exactly. good. So consider that. And next, we have a special guest. Oh, my gosh. Who is it? Sli- about slightly taller than Nick. Really? Uh, so we're not going to have Nick Reeds. Uh-huh. We're going to have Elon Musk Reeds. Wow, Elon. I can't wait. Here Thank we go. Thank you, Elon. Um, then, you know, at some point, really what you're doing is capital allocation. So you're, you're not... It's not money for personal expenditures. It's it, what you're doing is, is capital allocation, and it, it does not make sense to take uh, the the job of capital allocation away from people who have demonstrated great skill in capital allocation and give it to uh, you know an entity that has demonstrated very poor skill in in capital allocation, which is the government. Uh, I mean, you can think of the government essentially uh, as a corporation in the limit. Uh, it, it is it is a, the government is simply the biggest corporation with a monopoly on violence. And with and where you have no recourse. Can so how much money do you want to give part? that entity? What was your favorite part about what he just said? Or what was your favorite part about what we just heard? I'm sorry. It is. I love looking at different ideas from different perspectives. That's why I keep bringing up this like thrashing idea, which is a computer perspective yeah. applied to how, yeah. how we manage, yeah. uh, you know, projects, uh, companies, you know, all that other stuff. The perspective that um, the government is a capital allocation business. Corporation. Yep, corporation. 
Let's not and, call them a business, just a corporation. Yep. And they're not good at it. Terrible. And if you, and if you, if you do not think that that is true, if you looked at anything, uh, one of the most prideful things in, in America is uh, landing on the moon, which was great, which was great. Um, after that, the amount of buildup and the amount of your money that was spent on engineers responsible for one bolt on one F-14 fighter on one piece of space hardware, that that was their only job and the rest they were dwindling their thumbs. I am absolutely serious when I say the government will pay a engineer, engineer salary money, which means $75,000 to $140,000 to manage a bolt on one piece of equipment. That capital allocation is absolutely nuts. Absolutely insane. That goes for uh, NASA, who I love. That goes for the military-industrial complex, who I wish could be better. That goes for uh, that goes for basically every industry that they are in. They do not know how to allocate capital. That's what I love about it. And you and to look at the government like that. And then to go back to to tie into what we were talking about earlier is like, maybe they should focus on the fundamentals because you get lost in the thrashing when you have all these dollars and they're just going to all these areas. Like, do you know, and, and as a Senator that, oh, there shouldn't be an engineer for one bolt. Like, oh, you'd have to look into that, see into that, see the reasonings. How can they, how can they look into that if they're looking into the, hundred other million things that they're in they can't they can't so looking at the government in that light gives new perspective that was my favorite thing what was yours my favorite thing was with the was the interviewer at the end i don't know if you caught what he said (laughs) so what elon said uh at the end was really interesting right he says the government has a monopoly on violence and I think, and, and, and so his statement with that, it went all over the meme world. It went all over the internet after that. Everybody was freaking out because I don't think they've ever heard, I don't think they've heard, number one, somebody as prominent as Elon Musk with like 65 million followers on, on Twitter or uh, have heard that just in general of somebody saying, the government has a monopoly on violence. Like That is a shocking statement to a lot of people, right? To people like me, <clears throat> it is not a shocking statement. But you could hear it in the in the reporter's voice, right? So if you are still shocked by what you just heard Elon say, and you're still listening to me going like, what, what, what does that even mean? I highly encourage you to go to YouTube. I want you to type in the monopoly, the monopoly on violence, and it and and check out this free movie that my friend Chris Coffer and Vinnie Marshall. Vinnie Marshall has been on this podcast before when we used to do uh, best advice and worst advice. Uh, and so look up the Monopoly on Violence YouTube. It's a production by Stateless Productions. And they will walk you through what it means when Elon Musk says the state has a monopoly on violence. So uh, I want to bet you a dollar that I can predict one of his next texts. What? And and you got it like, it's not going to be the next, next, next tweet, text. His next tweet. Uh, t- tweet. Yeah. Yep. It could be in a month or so or something like that. It's going to be peak influence. And then he's at 65.9 million followers. You know how he is. Once he hits 69 million followers, a peak. I literally was like, uh, my wife and I were just chilling out after uh, supper last night. And we, and I was like, you ever, you ever just looked at, she's not a Twitterer. 
and and you and I are only Twitterers in the sense that we just kind of are lurkers. We just yeah. follow people. Yep. Um, so I go, have you ever have you ever actually looked at Elon's feed? She's like, no. And so I went through Elon's feed and I was like, look at this meme he posted. So you know he talked about how NASA. There's a meme on his feed. You go ahead, scroll down like a few pages, you'll find it. It's a meme where it says, uh, it's hilarious. I'll put it up on the screen as I'm talking about this, <clears throat> so you see it. But it's uh, NASA in 1969 or something. Four kilobytes landed on the moon. It's like this big godlike creature. Yeah. And then it's got like these little dinosaurs at the bottom, and it's got text over, it and it says eight gigabytes of RAM in 2021. And then underneath it says uh, Chrome tab crashy. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he Elon's awesome. Yep. In so many different ways. Cool. All right. I think it's now time for ARE Jeopardy. Let's bring down the team. Here we go. All right. Question number one. What is the difference between Schedule 40 and Schedule 80 PVC pipe? Is it A, that Schedule 80 is thicker? Is it B, that Schedule 40 is thicker? Mm. Is it C, that Schedule 80 is denser? Or is it D, Schedule 40 is denser? Great question. Great question. I hear those numbers all the time. So what's the difference? What do we got? Put it up. C, D, A, C. Correct answer is A. Schedule 80 is thicker. Now you know. Same density. Uh, question number two. <clears throat> okay. So I got to explain. This question is about conduit, right? And it's about how many bends you can have. So conduit can bend around before it hits into something else. Electrical conduit? Electrical conduit, okay. right? So like from a box to an outlet to anything, right? Because you could have everything in conduit. Um, you could even have it outside and going from the street into your, th uh, into your building, right? So here's the question. The total cumulative maximum amount of bends in conduit is how many degrees, right? So when you go and then you bend it, let's say you only bend it by 20 degrees and then like 80 degrees to go into the house and that adds up to 100 degrees, right? Is that the total max or is there more? What is it? Is it A, 90 degrees, B, 180 degrees, 3, C, 360 degrees, D, 550 degrees. Total cumulative max conduit bends in degrees. Ready? B, C, B, B. B was 180. I was the most said. 360. You cannot have more than 360. C. I don't think anyone got that one. Oh, you did? There we go. There we go. Lance. I'm up. You're up. Number three, what is the typical degree day temperature used when calculating the number of heating or cooling degree days? Is it A, 62? <laughs> I heard you, Crash. Is it B, 65? Is it C, 67? Or is it D, 69? I swear I got this question literally on the, the test a couple times. I think. It's hard to say. It was a long time ago. But any repeats? Nope. We're good? Okay. Uh... B, B, uh, A, B. Uh, the correct answer is B, 65. There we go. Number four, at what minimum slope is needed for a roof to properly drain 
pipes. So what minimum slope is needed for a roof to properly drain pipes? Is it A, quarter inch per foot? Sorry, sorry, sorry. A, eighth inch per foot. B, quarter inch per foot. C, half inch per foot. D, one inch per foot. What is the minimum slope needed to for a roof to properly drain pipes? A, eighth inch. B, quarter inch. C, half inch. D, one inch. What do we got? D. What did you say? D. D. C. A. Or no, sorry. B. Uh, a. The correct answer is B, quarter inch per foot. Look at that. How many? What's the totals? Two, one, two. You don't count. Okay, we have a tie. Tiebreaker, Mark attack. All right, Come here on we go. down, eat the mic. Rules are everyone gets a chance, but first one to hold up the correct. This will be number and PSIs wins. Uh, so the answer is just going to be a letter, and then I'll tell you the PSIs. So the question is, there are four basic types of mortar called N, S, M, and O. Each has a different compressive strength and a different proportion of cement, lime, and aggregate. Which type has the highest compressive strength? So your choices are N, S, M, O. First and then second. The correct answer is M. And just, just so everyone knows who is listening at home, M is 2,500 PSI, S is 1,800 PSI, N is 750 PSI, and O is 350 PSI. So you'd use O and just like an interior non-load bearing wall. And I think Katie just said that we're going to that new Asian chicken place. Oh my gosh, and Kim Pratt. Wow. wow. Neat. Good pick. Uh, that's it for me. We already promoted. Check out Arctic to Builder if you're interested. Lance? Uh, if you like this episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to smash that like button, hit the subscribe, leave us a comment. We'll see you next week. Thank you.